Good morning. Okay, lots happening here. Uh, if you haven't got, uh, didn't get it, our, our Advent books have been sent out, and it is Advent season. I hope you're able to avail yourselves of those. A lot of great little things in there. We always enjoy going through them in our family. Uh, there's some reason it didn't come, let us know, and uh, we'll, we'll get back with you on that. Um, I think most of us know that we'll start our adult Sunday school classes. We also have the youth and um, the children's classes. Now, uh, we're also next week going to start, uh, Richard McClendon is going to start having his class also over here in the Fellowship Center. Um, but some have asked, he's also going to go ahead and have it taped. So his, for those that are really have enjoyed um, getting his Sunday school classes um, on the video, that's still going to be happening. And so uh, he's, he's uh, said that he's going to continue doing that. So we'll have that on tape, but also at Sunday morning, remember, uh, very important for the Sunday school classes that we do wear the masks, okay? So the same protocol that we have in here. Uh, the speaker will take off his for clarity, uh, but everyone else, we, we really ask that they do, uh, they do wear the mask. Um, a few other things. Tuesday night is our last uh, of, uh, of the Association for Reformed Theology classes this calendar year. We sort of combine November and December. So next Tuesday, which I think is December 1st, we're meeting in here at 7 p.m. and uh, going over uh, a couple of those chapters. And I think most of, the, that are, of you are, that are part of that are reading that or know that. But if you have any questions, call us. Uh, do, do come and be, be a part of that. It's a lot of fun. We continue to have our collecting coats and winter clothes um, for uh, the, sort of the clothing drive. There's a lot of places out in the lobby here and also here in the office. Uh, continue bringing those. The blood drive is this coming Friday. Remember that? Uh, we are sending out uh, some contact points both in the um, I, I think they're primarily out in the e-letter we send out. So there's still openings there if you want to give blood. I think they're also planning to uh, let you know if you have any of the antibodies in your, in your system. A number, good number of people said, I may have had COVID back three or four months ago, didn't know it. This will kind of help you, let, help you to know that. And then two, all, two events here in December uh, that are important to us in the life of the church here. Um, we are having our annual Elf and Gumbo Night. And that's going to be, I think, December 9th. So it's not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that. Um, it's going to be outside. This is weather permitting. And, uh, but we show the Elf film. We have a lot of fun. Um, the cost is the usual family night supper cost. We're going to have gumbo this time uh, eating. And so it's, what, $5 uh, for adults, $3 for children. Uh, it's nothing for the really small ones, but and then it'll be $15 per family. So we're having that. And then also our Christmas Eve service, which is often very crowded. We're trying to find ways to work it. Our plan is to have it outside. And uh, we've got to get lights and all kinds of things set up for that. Um, if it has to be inside, we'll probably have two. I think one at four and one at six is the plan. Uh, so people can kind of come and, and spread out for that. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I hope you're um, preparing yourself uh, for that. Good morning, everybody. You are at the right place at the right time, and you all get jewels in your crown for getting up on a COVID-y, rainy, cold Sunday morning and worshiping and gathering around the Word of God. So uh, Jim spoke just for a second about uh, Christmas Eve, and, and uh, we are kind of thinking about that, like, like even if it's cold, we're going to be out there. 
And so this may be one of those occasions where, you know, uh, it's a really special kind of evening. You can kind of put on your coat and your scarf and maybe bring a blanket and a lawn chair. And it's going to be 5 o'clock at night, so it's just going to be getting dark. And we're going to string uh, lights in the trees. And, uh, and we are going to have those little propane heaters set up everywhere. So you might have to gather around a heater like that. And, and God willing, and it doesn't rain and the weather's appropriate, we, we plan on being out there. Uh, the alternative is this. I was driving by a church this week, and it said, Christmas Eve services, reservations required. And I went, Lord Jesus, no, I don't want to do that. I said, what I want to say is, is Christmas Eve services under the stars, come one, come all. Uh, it's it's going to be a great night, and uh, it, it'll be cold, and absolutely no complaining about the cold allowed. We're going to press through uh, the cold weather and, and bundle up. Um, also, this week, uh, on Friday coming up, I know Jim mentioned this, um, we're going to be giving blood. And uh, I think there were like 60 slots or 70 slots. There's a lot still available. And it'll be in our gym. And uh, our gym's right back here, like in the back parking lot. And uh, if you can come and just maybe give, I think it'll take you 20, 30 minutes, an hour maybe at the most after you sit there and rest and drink your orange juice. Um, my wife works, she's a nurse, she works on the floor where they give a lot of blood. And, and we know that right now uh, blood is really low. And so uh, there's people aren't going out to give. And so if, if you can sign up, there's, a, there's actually kind of a little uh, box on our website on the front page that circles ads through it. And if you click on the one for the blood drive, it'll take you to a place where you can actually just sign up right there for a time slot and come and give blood. Uh, that being said, uh, it is time to worship our Lord. Uh, and in order to do so, the way in which I want to call you to worship today is I want to invite Jackson and Terry Pullen to come forward. And to bring their son, Rad Young Pullen, this is a great name. And uh, if y'all could come forward and light the Advent candle for us this morning. By sending our Savior, help us to always trust in your word, for it never fails. Amen. Well, praise God. Let's, uh, let's stand together and let us go into worship proclaiming what it is that we believe. This is a practice that we have here in this church to, to, to proclaim our, what our faith is found in the Apostles' Creed. And I began by asking this question, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From thence you shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. And let me say this. Uh, a lot of people are locked in the house today. A lot of people are losing their traditions. But we get to enjoy uh, the worship of God's people today. Uh, don't take that lightly. Let's now enter into uh, his uh, gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. Zechariah was doing his priestly duty in the holy place of the temple. And an angel appears to him and says that you're going to have a son, which shocked Zechariah because he was elderly and his wife Elizabeth was elderly. And uh, that time pretty much passed for them. And he said, nonetheless, you are going to have a son. And uh, Zechariah was kind of, well, how's this going to happen? And he said, well, um, I'm Gabriel. And what I say happens. And uh, so um, you need to know that this is going to be a man great in the kingdom. He's going to win many of the hearts of Israel back to the Lord. Uh, but you're not going to be able to speak again until he shows up. Um, but he does inform him his name is to be John. And uh, so he, for the next nine months or so, he does not, uh, he is not able to speak. And sure enough, um, he does signal to everybody the name is John. And uh, they have a child, John, who would be John the Baptist. And then, uh, by God's grace, Zechariah is able to speak, and he speaks in this wonderful um, hymn. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, 
For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we gather this day in the righteousness of your eternal Son. Indeed, in him you have visited your people, remembering your holy covenant, the promise made to Abraham. This Advent season we celebrate the horn of salvation, he who is the heir of all things, the radiance of your glory, the exact imprint of your nature, he through whom the world was created, who upholds all things by the word of his power, who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. In the name that is above all names, be merciful. You have made man for your glory alone, and yet all sin and fall short of that glory. Gracious Lord, we recognize that no sin is greater than that of unbelief. Give us eyes to see and hearts to grieve our unbelief. Strengthen our faith. Let us apprehend the earthly and the eternal benefits of being crucified, buried, and raised with Christ, today and forever joined to his life. Let our Lord's hatred for sin be ours. His embrace of the cross be ours. His trust in his Father be ours. And his joy in the will of God be ours. Father, that we would ask this is beyond audacious, and yet this is the inheritance of the saints. By the gift of faith, we are joined to Jesus. What he is is ours. We belong to him. He belongs to God. Lord, be with your church in its proclamation of your gospel. In this season, remember our missionaries in their fears and sufferings. Keep them safe. These days, or use these days as doors for the gospel they serve. Bless now our giving. Let our faithfulness and our tithes and offerings be used to further the discipleship of the nations. Father, we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ who alone is the mercy promised to the fathers, praying as he instructed his church, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
this time of children ages three through kindergarten will meet Miss Lisa Amy in the foyer. This next song is called um, Glorious in the Darkest, Glory from the Gar Darkest Places, and if you would just continue listening with your hearts and your minds as we prepare for the coming of Christ as the band blesses us with this record. darkness feels so deep why can't our weary spirits see glory 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 in the darkest place So in our sorrow 
don't know about you, but I like that. That's nice. God is good, and uh, you know, one of the things that's been on my heart a lot this week is, is kind of how much, I've, talked, I've had some conversations with some of you coming in the door, but how much we've we kind of been losing our traditions, um, and how many of us have kind of had to go through that. We, uh, my family and I, we were alone this Thanksgiving, and that's unique for us. Um, normally, we're with family of some sort. Um, we we kind of have things that we do, and a lot of those we didn't do this year. And I, I even found myself, you know, kind of on Thanksgiving Day getting lost outdoors in some woodworking project. Some of my neighbors were here, and they had to listen to that all day. I had power tools running, uh, hitting things with, a, with an axe. And, and uh, I, I came in about 5 o'clock and turned the TV on, and I was like, what, there was the NFL today? Like, I totally forgot that there was football on Thanksgiving. And that is not like me. Just to- lost all of our, of our traditions, and I'm... I'm looking to Christmas, and uh, I'm like, are my, is my family even going to come on Christmas? Are we going to be Christmas alone too? And I, and I don't say that to, to make my stuff, but, but in order to kind of just say, listen, we're all doing this. We're all kind of have to like this, this loss of tradition that we're having to go through. And uh, I, I was at the gym last night. Kimmy and I went to the gym, and, and I saw a friend, and, and I saw him, and I started bemoaning. I was like, listen, uh, my family wasn't even here, and, and before I could kind of get the words out, I looked at his face, and I recognized that my friend had lost his 21-year-old son this year, and that he was having to go through this as his first Christmas, and, and you know, it's always hard. But when we talk about tradition, not all of our tradition is lost. Advent is really, if it's anything, it is a tradition of the church. And, and we still, while many people are locked inside, we still can come those of us who, who brave it, and, and hear about the tradition of Advent. Now, now, Advent comes from a Latin word, which means the coming or the arrival. And, and the idea of Advent is that we're waiting for the coming or the arrival of Jesus. And Advent ends up having these, these dual purposes or these dual thoughts that we think about in Advent. On the one hand, we, we kind of put ourselves, and, and you can, you've done this since you've grown up, we kind of use our imagination to trans pour ourselves back to that time when Jesus was born. And we think about the angels in the field and the shepherd, or excuse me, the shepherds in the field and the angels come. And we think about the wise men at Jesus' birth. And so in Advent, we kind of look back to what it must have been like for those people to have been waiting for Jesus to come. But at the same time in Advent, we also kind of look forward to the, the second coming or the second arrival of Jesus and I think that gets a lot less attention in Advent. I think we're really good at kind of going back to the nativity, but I don't think we're as good about saying, okay, this is a season in Advent where we also look towards the second coming of Jesus as well. But that's actually a big part of it. Uh, Advent is a season of remembering uh, both that Jesus came and remembering and longing for Jesus to come again. Now, uh, now a few years back, uh, I, I preached on Advent and Advent's always, for me, it's always one of the toughest seasons to preach because every year you preach the exact same thing. And so if you've been preaching for 10 years, by the time you come to Advent, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm bored with this. Or even though as, as glorious as the gospel is, as glorious as Jesus is coming in, as a preacher, you kind of want to make something be new. And so a few years back, we, I, I preached through uh, the Advent by looking at some popular Christmas carols. And I'm not talking about Jingle Bell Rock, and I'm not talking about I Saw Mama Kissing Santa Claus, or, or, or what was my favorite one, Mama Got Ran Over, or Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer, do y'all remember that one? Uh, or even Holly Jolly Christmas. I'm talking about the great hymns of the faith 
where we hear the gospel proclaimed. And, uh, and we went through four of those hymns as a way of, of, of going through Advent, and we left a little meat on the bone. And so what we recognize is we can come back and do that again uh, several years later. I think it was three years ago we did this. So we're going to call this uh, The Carols of Christmas, the second verse, right? Isn't that very clever? Thank you very much. And the perfect carol uh, to begin Advent season with is Charles Wesley's masterpiece, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Are you familiar with this song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus? I'm sure you know it. Here, here are the words. Let me, let me just speak them to you. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. These are some strong lyrics. And as I said earlier, they're penned by Charles Wesley. And if you don't know a lot about him, I'm going to talk about him some today. He was the brother of the great preacher John Wesley. And together, Charles and John found themselves as the founders of the Methodist church. Uh, Charles wrote over, this is what I find is really interesting. It kind of is one of those make you think about what you did with your life or what you did this morning. Charles Wesley in his life wrote over 6,500 hymns. That's a bunch. Oh, 4,000 tongues confess, and can it be that I should gain? Hark the herald angels sing. Christ the Lord is risen today. Come thou long expected Jesus. The list just goes on and on. And Charles Wesley was born in uh, North Lincolnshire, England, back in 1707. So a long time ago is when this guy lived. And, and so the first thing you can see is that his songs have staying power, right? They're not just kind of one-hit wonders. He's, he's, they're around for a while. And his father was a man by the name of Samuel Wesley, and he was an Anglican cleric, and he was also a poet. And so in a sense, kind of the perfect formula for raising someone to write hymns. Uh, your, your father's an Anglican cleric, and he's also a poet. And so you can imagine that Charles Wesley learned uh, quite honestly to come about his faith and, and, and about the poetry that went into his lyrics. Now, at the age of 28 years old, on October 14, 1735, excuse me, 35, Charles Wesley and his brother John Wesley boarded a ship. And they left England and they sailed across the ocean to these United States of America. And Charles Wesley was actually coming to America at the request of the governor of the Georgia colony, a man by the name of James Oglethorpe. And as the Wesley brothers traveled from England to Georgia, they found themselves on a boat. And this is a very interesting fact. The way that God's sovereignty works, you can see it right here. The boats are small. You're going to be, whoever you're on the boat with, you're going to have a great influence on your life. You're going to spend a lot of time together. But they, these brothers found themselves on the boat with 26 German Moravians. Uh, now, you may not know what a Moravian is, uh, they're, they're kind of an offshoot of the Hussites, uh, and the Hussites were followers of John Huss. Uh, all you need to know is, is these guys are early Protestants, right? early Protestant believers uh, from, from, from Germany, and these guys love to sing. And, and when I think about these 26 uh, German Moravians, I, I think that they were probably a lot like, if you could imagine, like one of the great men's choirs. They just love to sing hymns, and they end up on this boat, and they're on the boat with them are Charles and John Wesley. And on this voyage across the sea, these brothers had to experience the songs of these 26 German Christian men. And apparently it was, it was beautiful and it was so inspiring that, that John and Charles Wesley would forever have this music in their hearts 
Uh, and and this, this scene for them, they begin to think of songs as a spiritual experience. And it changed the way that both of them thought about worship. Uh, these 26 German Moravian Christians gave a testimony through their singing, and it really affected one of the great hymn writers of all times. Uh, Charles Wesley uh, finally arrived in Savannah, Georgia, and I, think, I find this very interesting. He was appointed Secretary of Indian Affairs. What an interesting job. He, Charles Wesley, when he came to America, was Secretary of Indian Affairs. It was a nice appointment. He could have stayed his whole life there in the United States. It would have been a great employment. But for one thing, historians say that Charles Wesley never got along with the settlers here. Uh, and, and nine months later, Charles Wesley returned to England. And within about a year of returning to the London area, Charles and his brother John began to follow around a, a man who would be a famous preacher by the name of George Whitfield. I don't know if you've ever heard of George Whitfield, but he was known as an open-air preacher, meaning that he figured out the same thing that Lakeside has figured out lately, that, that, that you could go outside and have church, and instead of waiting for people to come to him, George Whitfield was famous for going out to the town square and just having church outdoors. And uh, as, as he would preach outside to the masses, eventually the brothers John and Charles began to preach alongside him. And, and as they were preaching as part of their ministry, Charles began to write hymns that they would sing along with the preaching. All the while through his ministry, he was writing hymns, just cranking them out one after another. He was probably about 30 or 31 when he started writing these hymns, and he died in 1788, which gave him about 50 years to write hymns. Now, let me just play with the numbers for you so you can kind of get a context of how much he was writing. Uh, he wrote 6,500 hymns in 50 years. Uh, that's a lot. That's at least 130, if you kind of average it out, 130 hymns a year. That's two and a half hymns every week of his life, if you average it out. That is a man who is committed to his craft, and all he does is sit down and write. And these aren't just surface-level hymns. These are great, deep theological hymns. I don't know how you write 6,500 hymns in a lifetime. I can't write one sermon a week, barely. But I want to look at Advent together this morning through the lens of Wesley's great song, Come Now Long Expected Jesus. Apparently, the verse that, in, that really did serve to inspire him to write this hymn was Haggai 2.7, which is really a random verse, right? And we're going to read from Haggai together this morning. The prophet Haggai is, is speaking to the people of Israel, okay? And he, he's prophesying about the coming of the coming glory of the temple, and he's basically telling the people, uh, how many of you remember the good old days? He's, he's asking the people, do you remember the good old days? And then he says, well, God's not through with us yet. And I want to look at this together. We'll get greater context as we do. We're going to be reading Haggai 2, 3 through 7. If you are able, let's stand now as we read the Word of God. Before we do, we will pray together. Father, as we read from your prophets... And we remember the hope that you gave your people through your words you gave to your prophet. We pray that it also encourages our hearts this morning, Lord. As we stand here in a, in a season of our life that looks really dark some, for some of us, uh, God, we, we come to find the light of the treasure of the nations in Christ Jesus, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord found in Haggai chapter 2, beginning in the third verse. 
Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever, and this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You please be seated. So let me see if I can help you by adding context to what's going on in Haggai. Because granted, first time to read this without kind of context, we can kind of be grasping at what's happening here. So in verse 3, Haggai says, Who here among you saw this house in its former glory? That's the question he poses to the crowd. And when Haggai is talking about the house, what he's talking about is he's talking about King Solomon's temple. Okay, that's, that's the house he's talking about. And, of course, King Solomon's temple was beautiful. It was the first temple, but it had been destroyed by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar when the Jews were carried off in exile. You remember that story. When Haggai is speaking now in this context, it's many years later, and he's addressing the people who are attempting to rebuild the temple. After they've returned uh, from Babylon exile, he's talking to Zerubbabel, he's talking to Joshua, he's talking to others, and Haggai is trying to encourage them. He, so he's, if you look at the text, what he says is, he says, Zerubbabel, be strong, be strong, Joshua, be strong, all you people, for I am the Lord, or I am, uh, I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, he says. Uh, what, what he's trying to do is he's trying to encourage this workforce or the construction crew on the second temple. Now, if you know much about the first temple, you know, it was grand. When, when Solomon set out to do this, he had all the wealth of the height of, of the Jewish nation. And, and he had all kinds of architects on the payroll. He could just bring them all in there. And they just designed the greatest thing you could think of. And then they went out to Lebanon and they got the cedars of Lebanon and brought them in. And, and kind of no expense was spared. And, and they had great craftsmanship. It was ornate. It was beautiful. But that's not the case with the second temple. And not at all. These people were just out of exile, and they were still poor for the most part, and they were still under the thumb of the Persians. And historians suggest that the only way that Zerubbabel was really able to start construction is that he thought that the Persian king was kind of distracted on something on the other side of his kingdom and really wasn't paying attention and therefore wouldn't mind because ultimately the Persian king would not like the idea of the Jews who had returned rebuilding their temple. So this second temple was much more practical, it's simple, it's, it's humble. Here's what uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, says about this text. He says, he says that as the walls began to rise on this second temple, the older men wept at the recollection 
of what was an inferior structure, it would be at the realization that this was going to be an inferior structure, right? They, they, they go, this isn't going to be what the old one would be, and they wept. Uh, this was nothing compared to the former building of Solomon. And, and then the idolaters who were looking for an excuse were ready to cease their work. They were discouraged that this new temple was just like some country church when compared to the temple of Solomon. And in that very moment of discouragement, right there when they were you know, wanting to give up, that's when Haggai speaks his words. That's when he comes in and starts talking. He says, who here among you saw this house in its former glory? Be strong, work, for I am with you. I made a covenant with you, fear not. For in a little while, and here comes the prophecy, this is what he says, for in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts, right? So he's, he's going he's to shake the nations, and the treasure of all nations is going to come into this house now, and, and, and he's going to fill it with glory. And obviously, at first glance, this is a prophecy about the second temple. Haggai is saying, uh, keep, keep working on the temple because in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and, and all the treasures of the nation are going to come in here and I'm going to fill this house with glory. It's easy to understand the original context. He's saying this to encourage those who are building the temple. Even though it's not as grand, just give it time. In a little while, I'm going to bring in the treasure of the nations. And, and, and we can understand it in that context and that's fine. But, but here's what's happening. For Charles Wesley, he, he begins to come to this text and he begins to ask questions about it like, what if the treasure of the nation isn't gold and it's not silver, but what if it's so much more? What if the treasure of the nations is a baby born in a manger? What if when Haggai had said, in a little while I will shake the nations so that all the treasure of the nations will come in. What God was talking about was something greater. What if he was talking about Jesus? For hundreds of years, if you think about this, our, our ancestors in, in the faith had, at this time, prayed for the Messiah to come. God had blessed them, Jews, to be a blessing into the nations. Remember, God had made this covenant with Abraham, and God told Abraham that through Abraham's descendants that all the, the nations of the earth would be blessed. Israel went away in fulfilling this, but what God really had in mind was his promised Messiah, that God was going to bless the nations, that he was going to give a treasure to the nations, and that would be a descendant of Abraham. And, and when Jesus is there in the New Testament, he's talking to this Jewish crowd in John eight fifty six. he says this, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. What he's talking about there is when the nation's treasure would be there. He saw it and was glad. The Messiah that the Jews had long been waiting for, the treasure of the nations, had come. And Wesley begins his great carol, and we read these words earlier. We'll say them again. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. And, uh, you know, we get this idea that Charles Wesley says that Jesus is born to set people free. Uh, it sounds a little bit like a prison break or maybe a little bit like Moses who's going to come and free his people. Uh, what was Jesus born to set his people free from? 
That's a fair question. Right? What kind of prison, what, what kind of slavery are they said to be freed from? Well, Charles Wesley lays that out in his next line. He says this, from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Jesus came to, to free his people from their fear and sin. Sin is the problem, and it always has been. And, and sin leads to death, and death creates fear. And Jesus comes to free us from all that. The author of Hebrews says this about Jesus. It's Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, and what he's trying to show is, is that Jesus is flesh and blood just like you and I. We're, we share that with him. He, Jesus himself, likewise, uh, partook of the same things that, that though death he might that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Somehow there is this slavery that comes through fear of death. That's what the, the author of Hebrews is suggesting here. Even though Jesus was tempted as we are, he alone did not sin. And therefore, death had no power over Jesus. And in defeating death, Jesus also defeated the devil so that he could deliver all his people who were somehow being held as slaves through the fear of death. From our fears and sins release us. And he adds, let us find our rest in thee. This is a peaceful refrain, isn't it? Jesus releases us from our fears, releases us from our sins, so that we can simply rest in him. Uh, we, we have to just take a breath and remember, we're not the one who defeats sin and death. Jesus is, and it's been done. Believe in the Messiah, take a breath, and rest in Jesus. Uh, Charles Wesley really captures the gospel in those lines. The good news of the long-expected Jesus that brings peace on earth and rest to his people. And the second stanza of this carol goes like this. It's talking about Israel, and it's talking about Israel's uh, strength and consolation. It goes like this. Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And, and it's like here Wesley says, this is what Jesus is to Israel, and this is what Jesus is to the nations, right? First off, he starts with Israel, and he says that, that, that Jesus to Israel is her strength and consolation. And we can understand where you would say Jesus is your strength, but, but that word consolation, what does that mean? Um, I, I think if you think about the idea of consoling somebody, uh, the, the, the comfort, is, you know, if you look at the definition, it, it, it's the comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. You know, that, that, that Jesus is to Israel consolation for all the suffering they've ever been through. They see in the Messiah, in Jesus, uh, they, they feel like all the times that God maybe wasn't listening to them or maybe their enemies defeated them, that when Jesus comes, that it's consolation for all of that. He puts right all their disappointment. But it's not just for Israel. When, when he starts talking about the nations, that, that becomes relevant to you and it becomes relevant to me. Because if you think about it, we really are the nations in this song. We're not Israel. We're the nations. And, and when we go back to, to Haggai's prophecy, when he said he was going to shake the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in, he, he's writing about us. We're the nations. 
He writes, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And I just want to end kind of going, asking these questions this morning, right? It's kind of leading us here. Is Jesus your treasure? Do you think of him like a treasure? Maybe take him for granted some? Do you cling to him? Are you thankful for him? And, and, and listen, if, if you were forced to, to say why Jesus was your treasure, why is he your treasure then? Would you know what to say? Would you have the words? Let me, let me try to put words to it. Not one dollar or one diamond can buy you one minute of time on this earth when your time is up. You will face your creator. And when you do, you will be judged. And when it comes time for judgment, you're going to go on maybe stammering about your tithing or your volunteering up at the church or your morality or your self-denial. And, and God only cares about one thing. Do you truly belong to Jesus? Have you been called by Jesus and have you trusted Jesus with your very life? That being considered, the reason that Jesus is the most treasured thing in all the nations is because he is the most valuable thing in all of eternity. In him is forgiveness, in him is eternal life, in him is peace. And in this Advent season, we remember that our treasure has come and we are thankful. And we also remember that our treasure is coming back. Jesus will return to this earth. And for those of us who know him, it will be a glorious day. So both in looking back to the manger and looking forward to Jesus' second coming, we can join Charles Wesley in singing, Come thou long-expected Jesus, who was born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. May you find your rest in the treasure of the nations this Christmas season. This world is not all doom and gloom. There is good news in this Christmas. For unto you a child is born. One who will set his people free from sin and death. A treasure of nations. Thanks be to God. Now I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a song. Can you guess what that song might be? We are very clever here. So let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll hear the song together. Father, we do thank you for, uh, for all the ways in which you have blessed us. And, and today we, we recognize and we worship Jesus as the treasure of the nations. Our treasure, the most valuable thing in all of eternity. Who has come for our salvation and will come again. This is our Advent prayer. Lord Christ, be honored. Amen.
strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. I am thankful for 26 German Moravians who were on a boat with Charles and John Wesley by God's sovereignty, which uh, sang their beautiful songs and inspired Charles Wesley, one of the great hymn writers of all times, who would pen 6,500 hymns. What in the world? It's a lot of hymns. And I'm thankful for the message that we received today that was delivered from Haggai for the people of Israel as they, they kind of were building what seemed to be a meager te temple in response to Solomon's temple. And Haggai spoke these words of encouragement. Listen, in a little while, I'm going to shake the nations. And then the treasure of the nations is going to, they're going to come into this house and bring glory. I'm really thankful that years and years later, the treasure of nations, Jesus Christ, came into that temple and brought glory. Uh, Go now and take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Until we meet again, let's, uh, let's hear that second verse. I thought it was wonderful to worship with you. Until next week, God bless.